right, what's the motto this time, boys? Under two hours. We can do it. <laughs> this one we can definitely do under two hours. Yeah, this, well, this is you know what? I shouldn't you know say anything because about. maybe maybe we're going to get jinxed. We, we wrote um, so many notes. There's, it's not They're really, guidelines. Uh, whatever. Anyway, welcome back to the Hexmakers podcast. Uh, what do I usually say after this part? I don't know. I'm Jules. I'm joined by Eric. Hello. Oak. Yo. And Chef. Yo. And we're a long-time playgroup, journeying the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up our game and yours. And yours. Uh, First of all, I think you missed a a word or two in there. And second of all, next time, let's do it in four-part harmony uh, altogether. (laughs) I don't think he did miss any words, but anyway. I said all the important ones. I ignored the ones that are unnecessary. Like, my name is Julian. No one cares. No, 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 no. I'm talking... Never mind. Whatever. So anyway... Listen here, listen here. (laughs) You might think we talked to you enough about the Olympics, and you're wrong. (laughs) You're just wrong. Well, see, Eric, we Eric have an excuse the, the funny thing is that this time we're not actually talking about the Olympics. It's uh, it's officially December now, mm-hmm. at least when this comes out, it will be. Uh, and it's the holiday season, right? And maybe you want to get the magic play in your life, something. Uh, and obviously, it's been a hard couple of years, so we don't want to break the bank. And this is why we're here to talk to you about our Lord and Savior, Budget EDH. <laughs> or maybe you signed up for one of the, uh, the Budget EDH Secret Santas on Reddit and you're looking for inspiration. I know for, I think, the Budget Brews um, subreddit, the Secret Santa pairings just went out, I think, today or yesterday, with Deckless due December 11th. So you you will have time from when, <laughs> when you hear this to then, if, if any of these are striking your fantasy or line up with what uh, the, the person that you're gifting a deck for uh, wants. We're all about giving back. So we, we kind of hinted at it before. These are the... We want to go into more detail on the $50 decks that we brewed for the budget event of the Olympics. All of us brought brand new decks um, that hadn't seen a lot of play in our playgroup before. And these are from the ground up, you know, how are we trying to get the most power out of $50 and still make very strong and competitive decks? Uh, for those of you who have forgotten or didn't listen to our, our, our episode a few ago, uh, Oakley did... Shame on you. <laughs> yeah, first, shame. Second, um, Oakley did come out the victor of our... our um, ranked game with Toolbox Tory. Uh, Eric picked up a win with Shrines in a side event later on. Um, but a lot of these have had a, a lot of moments that shine that we want to talk about. Really cool cards. And we really just want to do a couple quick deck tests. Think of it like a pre-cons episode, I guess. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. Kind of. Sort of. Um, why don't we start with the winner? Yeah. <laughs> like oh, a good happy place to. to start. We'll work our way down. <laughs> First off, why don't we uh, why don't we just explain our, our overview for the event? Uh, we just had a hard cap budget at fifty dollars, uh, update to cheapest on Moxfield, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much how we how we ran it. Nothing simple, straightforward. Just keep it under that fifty mark, yeah. or right at that fifty mark if you can manage to hit hit the bullseye like that. Yeah. So Oak, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So um, the sort of uh, original inspiration for this deck came uh, from uh, a deck I had made before this uh, with a, a Chainer... Uh, oh, shoot. Uh, chainer... Someone help Dementia me, please. Dementia Master? <laughs> I don't, don't think it's Dementia... Is it Venser uh, Servant? Nightmare no, it is Adept. Dementia Master. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Chainer Nightmare Adept. He's in the list. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was the old one. I, I, I could never remember. Thank you. <laughs> Dementia comes in... <laughs> it means more than we wanted. <laughs> Chater, yeah, Chater's got me good right now. Uh, he's he's <laughs> mad at me 
because I, I didn't end up playing him. Uh, instead of playing Chainer, um, I played a Hensy, uh, mm. Hensy Toolbox, quote unquote, uh, Tori, who is the <laughs> Quite face. literally. Yeah. <laughs> who is the face commander for a, um, uh, the, one of the Streets of New Capenna uh, commander precons that sort of just came out with the set. Now, I didn't play just the precon itself. <laughs> uh, I played the, the precon um, plus uh, a number of upgrades, which I'll sort of get into, and that sort of goes into uh, what my original inspiration for playing this over uh, Chainer was, uh, which was I basically just saw a deck tech uh, about an upgrade for the precon on it, um, and the deck tech uh, I had watched originally wasn't necessarily budget related, but I took a lot of the Right, I noticed along the way that a lot of the picks were budget-friendly, uh, and sort of incorporated that along the way. So, <clears throat> uh, the first thing, uh, I, I guess, uh, that we're probably going to cover for all these is our, our favorite tech in all of the uh, decks that we had, specifically the budget tech. And I think... Uh, something that shined in both the Chainer, the original sort of Chainer build and the Henzy build, because they're, they're not really the same strategy. Uh, Chainer is more of a reanimation-specific one, um, whereas Henzy, uh, well, I, I guess they're, they're both graveyard shenanigans-focused, but Chainer s sort of himself facilitates the um, graveyard reanimation, whereas Henzy sort of just helps fill up your graveyard by uh, blitzing things. And then, yeah, you know, they die. <laughs> uh, Chainer, you can discard things and then use his ability to reanimate things, but it's, it's, uh, Henzy gives you that sort of card advantage, which I think helped a lot, uh, in the sort of game. But, anyways, common, uh, between both of these is, uh, some of my favorite tech, uh, which comes in the form of these just, like, giant, reprinted to death, uh, big, <laughs> dumb yeah. creatures that are just, um, they're good, don't get me wrong. So, what I'm talking about here is, like, Atali, Inferno Titan, um, Molten, and Sepulchral Primordial, because, uh, as we know, the Green Titan and Primordial are both banned in EDH. Uh, notably, actually, that raised an interesting point, uh, our, but we use the same EDH ban lists, even though we, um, we adhere to that sort of, like, budget-friendly, uh, yeah. you know format <clears throat> um but yeah a, a lot of these just gi gigantic creatures that are just like good on their own but maybe like again have been reprinted to death just because they're generically good or or like not not broken uh or maybe like just like don't have like any form of like self-protection anything like that um a bunch of them i mentioned before um more of them include like combustible and noxious gear hulk um, and then, obviously, with the sort of upgrade I made to Henzy for this deck, uh, I got to add a bunch of green creatures that sort of fell into this category. So, the ones that, um, you know, immediately come to mind, Woodfall Primus, uh, Terastodon, uh, let's see, Moldgraf Monstrosity, uh, Treeshaker Chimera, I think, uh, mm -hmm. which are all just insane, you know, giant cards that are just, you know, good for reanimating things, like the... That's all you need them for. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then Thrag the other... Tusk played a uh, a big part in the game. Yes, Thrag <laughs> Tusk. 
Ragtusk, <laughs> um, as I'll cover in, in an upcoming section, cards that sort of beat expectations in play, um, Thragtusk ended up playing a very important role in our Olympics game, and um, I think the other game we played uh, later on with these decks <laughs> as well. But, yeah. Um, so, just to finish up, um, my some of my favorite budget tech, the other sort of main category, I, I think, that uh, of sort of falls into this is uh, stuff with graveyard shenanigans. Uh, specifically, um, things that either pull things out of your graveyard and put it into your hand or just directly onto the battlefield. Um, the main example of this, which is just such a crazy dumb card that I did get to cast during our main event, uh, is Harness Infinity, which... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is essentially uh, you switch your hand in your graveyard, <clears throat> and uh, that's it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, arguably a slightly worse, um, I believe, Praetor's Council, but uh, you know certainly costs a lot less, uh, and obviously the mana cost is a lot more restrictive. So yeah, um, but a lot of cards fall into this sort of category um, just because uh, they're big, splashy effects that have been, just, again, reprinted to death. Um, sort of thrive uh, really well in this budget format, uh, just to go over a few of them. Uh, Cauldron Dance, which is just a, a classic favorite of mine, is essentially um, take something from your hand, put it on the battlefield, take something from your graveyard, put it on the battlefield, you get to attack with both in the two switch spots. Yeah, we've seen that since Scion of Ur-Dragon days. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and since it only had that old uh, funky order border art card, old, like, Tempest printing. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't the, wasn't the best looking, wasn't the best looking yeah. card. <laughs> um, <clears throat> one of the, uh, a card that I actually found when I was making the original Chainer deck, uh, Sinister Waltz, which is, uh, I believe, three, a red and a black, um... Pick three creature cards in your graveyard, return two of them to the battlefield, and put one or and put one on the bottom of your library at random, essentially. So yeah, uh, I think that came up in our our, our game as, or one of our games as well. Uh, and then a classic, you know, victimize. Everyone knows what that does. I mean, for five mana, that's that's <laughs> actually insane. Um, yep. <laughs> call back to our our previous episode where uh, Eric was referring to. Oakley's deck is full of hammers and guns um, yes. for five mana bringing back probably at least like 11 mana worth of creature mm -hmm. is uh, that's that that's pretty spicy. Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, the downside is that it's random. But if all and probably the only are good... half of our audience has ever heard of it because it's from Crimson Vow Commander. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, just crazy, weird card, but I like it a lot. Um, so, as Eric sort of alluded to, uh, I think we all sort of uh, had this experience to some degree. Uh, we had a number of cards that sort of um, snuck up on us as far as how mm -hmm. good they were, and I think we have this opinion of cards both in our own decks and in uh, each other's as well. Um, for me, uh, creatures that life gain on ETB, uh, specifically in, currently I'm running in this deck, Palaka Worm, Thrag Tusk, and New in Streets of New Capanna Workshop Work Chief, uh, all gain you some amount of life when they enter the battlefield, uh, which in a deck that is just constantly, like, 
getting creatures out for a reduced cost, having them die, bringing them back, having them die, bringing them back, having them die. Um, the life gain actually really, really adds up, <laughs> especially yeah. on that Palaka Worm, which, uh, and then, of course, you know, Thrag Tusk and Workshop Warchief, which they're constantly entering the battlefield and dying. They just leave behind, you know, a big, or, you know, relatively large creature uh, every single time uh, they, you know, enter and exit. <laughs> um, so that was really useful and definitely played a, a pivotal role, I think, in my victory in the uh, Olympic game that we played. Uh, and the other one I want to mention... Sp I, think I think Eric would tend to agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Life gain every turn being uh, the, the, the way to stop yep. a shrine that deals damage every turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the other uh, category of think of cards that exceeded my expectations, uh, and I think especially for this deck, uh, where you're able to, you know, Henzi's ability is essentially, it's a cost reducer, but you, um, blitz things, or, it's a cost reducer, but you have to adhere to the sort of downside of blitz, which is, like, you only get the creature for that turn, and you do get to draw a card when it, um, dies that turn, but, um, in the case of cards like Playcrafter and Fleshbag Marauder, uh, those creatures were just going to die anyways. So, uh, these creatures which, you know, cause everyone to have to sacrifice a creature, you can just blitz out for a reduced cost, sack the creature that you're going to sacrifice anyways, and then you just get to draw a card as, like, sort of an extra benefit. Yeah, um, it's very interesting that Blitz does not care that it died to the Blitz sack, it just cares that it died. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. That is that is really nice. Uh, the only thing that would make it better was if it didn't care if it actually died or not. <laughs> if it just left the battlefield. Yeah, that that's right, we're, we're not trying much. to break it. We're, we're, we're <laughs> yep. Um so, I don't think yeah. I don't think Henzi needed any help. <laughs> yeah. Um He's doing alright. He's got enough tools in that box. And I feel like Ayo. I kind of just sleep on these cards in EDH in general, and uh, I feel like in a previous episode, someone has had a similar sentiment, but, like, these guys, I think, like, very early on in the, you know, our Olympic game for this, uh, I, I think I got Torwaki and possibly Eric's Commander as well, just off of a Plague Crafter and, or, or, and or Fleshbag Marauder, like, trigger. Almost certainly. Yeah, yeah they put in work. You definitely get. You definitely got two commanders for one yeah. at, at one point mm -hmm. in the in the first yeah. game. So timing on playing these things is definitely critical, but um, they definitely pay off. They're essentially a, I guess, three for one. <laughs> um, when you come down to it, you just gotta hope yeah. one of those three things isn't a two-two Drake, which I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Talrand uh, has some some protection against that. But I I totally agree with with Grave, um, oh, whatever all the. Whatever they're all called, I, I flashbag effects. That th those I'm I'm looking at a different card currently because I was about to say it and it threw me off completely. But I recently just added Grave Lighter, um, the Neon Dynasty version of it, to um, my Toshiro like non-budget deck because the effect of being able to potentially kill three creatures is just so powerful, mm -hmm. and it's something that I think we've all turned a blind eye to for a little bit, and it's it's coming back in especially through PDH and all these other formats where. That has much larger ramifications, but even in EDH, it'll set people back, especially when there's only one or two creatures on the board. Yeah. Um, Gravelighter is one card I remember, like, when Neon came out. I was like, wow, this just seems 
really good like a very (laughs) strong flashback effect yep get all these creatures uh flying tutu or draw a card which isn't a bad um follow-up if that's what you really need Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i I believe dominaria united had another flashback um it did it was a it was a creature with like kicker one i think it was black and white so it couldn't oh yeah that makes sense um tour but unfortunately but yeah so um last but not least uh we want to talk about changes i i think that i would have made or would like to make uh going forward based on uh experiences with the deck so far um the first one and i i'm sure and i know at least chev and julian are going to agree with this sentiment is that we need more mass artifact and enchantment removal <laughs> because <laughs> um yeah now i know that that might be a little bit difficult for these guys because they're about to talk about a red black and a mono blue deck <laughs> um, i'll talk about what i can <laughs> yep. but i think just in general uh this is another thing that goes sort of underrated in edh and no more was that present when uh up against you know when when you're facing down like sex shrines on the battlefield and we saw that in in the follow-up game uh we played after the olympus game where eric's deck was just dominating he was playing stacks essentially <laughs> just making everyone discard their hand <laughs> yeah there was so much every turn <laughs> dealing a ton of damage you know is insane but. i feel like a, a bit of this sentiment is a uh, meta specific <laughs> given that we have an an all enchantments deck yeah. uh, i i generally agree that people should play more just like disenchant effects in their deck in general uh, but i do think that if you're going to put in uh, you've got here written down bane of progress that that might uh hurt me on average more than uh than than uh Eric. yeah okay so that. you don't all allow it i don't think that's true it's gonna hurt you too you dummy <laughs> right, get some eric we established in that game <laughs> we established in that game eric that you have all sorts of ways to bring your stuff back whereas i need the mana from my mana rocks to play my spells oh man blowing uh, up that soul ring still funny <laughs> yeah you're you're a real piece of shit for that uh <laughs> sorry oh god i didn't even hear what you said i couldn't hear you okay. Probably better. Um, you can you can listen to it oh, well, while you're okay. editing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the aforementioned bane of progress. Uh, unfortunately, well, obviously the first thing that comes to mind uh, when I think of mass artifact and enchantment removal uh, that could go in a Jun deck. Uh, unfortunately, that card is five dollars, which is just a little bit too much uh, mm. that I'd like to be paying for this sort of effect. Uh, it's very nice to have, but it is not like a center point of the deck. This isn't like. Um, we don't need to reserve that much money for it. Instead, um, newly printed in uh, Brothers War uh, is the spell I'd, li- I'd like to recommend uh, called Fade from History, which... Um, is this the Bears one? Yes. yes. It is the Bears one, where yeah. uh, I believe it is a four-mana sorcery. Yes. Uh, it's mono- or two and two green. Um, each creature... or each player that controls an artifact or enchantment creates a 2-2 bear and then destroy all artifacts and enchantments. Much uh, less expensive, both mana-wise and monetarily, than a Bane of Progress. Yeah. Uh, which would make it slot perfectly into this budget deck. Um, and again, only mono green. This is not uh, like a Fracturing Gust or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, other uh, things, uh, some means of disabling... Uh, or, you know, cards that say you have no maximum hand size. Um, especially after that Harness Infinity, I was just... I had so I had a massive grip, and 
having to just, like, kind of bin most of those cards at the end of turn anyways after I'd already spent half my mana casting Harness Infinity uh, felt a little bad, but in some ways it did end up working out. Um, that's definitely not the only time in that series of games that uh, I, I think I had to discard to hand size. Um, and, you know, discarding can be good in a reanimation deck, but on the whole, I think I'd rather um, choose when I have to discard things. <laughs> or or play them first, and then have them enter the graveyard. So, to that end, um, Reliquary Tower, which I think is uh, sitting around like 2... 250? Uh, in its current moment, if... if uh, drawing cards is something that's important to the strategy, I think that's probably worth uh, a slot. Or, alternatively, the card Spellbook, which is a zero-mana, just artifact, you have no maximum hand size... Um, I think this card is slept on because uh, on a turn where you draw a lot of cards, you may not have known necessarily that you're going to draw that many cards. Um, but if you draw a Reliquary Tower, you may have already played your land for the turn. Uh, you have to discard to hand size anyways. Whereas with a Spellbook, if you draw it, if you're, if you're just drawing cards and you rip a Spellbook, you can just throw that in as an uh, as a footnote, essentially, and be like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to keep that. Yeah. A little bit harder to get rid of, or, or, excuse me, a little bit easier to get rid of than a Reliquary Tower, but I digress. <clears throat> um, and then last but not least, um, cost reducers. Uh, Henzi himself is already a cost reducer, uh, and I'm also running currently Heartless Summoning in this deck, but I think uh, some other ones would go a long ways. Um, Myth Unbound, which is the card that essentially says you pay half as much for commander tax, I think would be great in this deck where you want to play... Henzi over and over and over again, and Heartless Summons goes some way towards um, uh, remedying that, but not all the way. Also draws you a card uh, whenever your commander dies. This is true. Yep. <clears throat> or uh, yeah, I guess enters enters the command zone from anywhere, so it can get exiled, and you still draw a card, or it can like I don't know, go to your graveyard, and you'd be like, oh, I'm gonna reanimate it, and then someone like yeah, Bajuka box you or something. Um, you still draw that card. And then, um, last but not least, uh, this is a Jun deck, and I forgot how this came up. Uh, I, I want to say it was like Julian playing a deck with the um, Esper Familiar, um, but oh, I actually I have Nightscape Familiar in ah, my tour list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, Nightscape Familiar. Uh, there's a whole cycle of these cards for each of these shards, which are essentially um, they're they cost I think all one and the sort of center color of that shard. Mm. And then they say um, spells you cast on the um, <clears throat> uh, colors adjacent to that center color um, cost one less a piece. Yeah. So that did probably didn't make any sense. I'll just give Thunderscape familiar as an example. The Jund <laughs> one, it's one in a red, and it says uh, green and black spells you uh, cast cost one less to cast. Um, and you can extract like, the rest from there. But, also, yeah. his first strike. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, yup. One and... one with first strike, baby. <laughs> yeah. It can matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, yeah, important to note with that cycle is that they always reduce your commander, uh, commander's cost as well. And hmm. even if your commander is like um, Henzi, where he doesn't cost any generic mana to begin with, uh, you can still get that cost reduction on the tax itself, which is technically generic mana. Mm -hmm. Whew. For sure. Need some water. 
Yeah, you, you went off. Uh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed this deck. Um, mm. uh, I think uh, it it was just a fun, a, a great time to pilot, and I'm definitely interested in, you know, one of the beauties of uh, budget decks is that you can just pull that trigger on the on the TCG player cart whenever you want, <laughs> pretty much, and it, you're not breaking the bank. So I'll definitely yeah. be uh, putting this to paper. I think, uh, considering I believe we're uh, all generally in agreement that we'd like to do some more budget magic. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Forward. No, but budget yeah. commander, as we talked about, was one of the the fan favorite games of the Olympics. Uh, mm-hmm. I have I have two notes I think on on Henzi before we move on. Yep. One is Oakley brought up a really good point with the sheer glut of big flashy creatures that have been printed into the ground in commander decks, which makes them incredibly cheap at a rate that other spells aren't. And that's something to really consider when making these decks. Like, Inferno Titan gets printed probably twice a year. Mm-hmm. So that <laughs> effect on something else that might be more beneficial to a different archetype is not... It's not one-to-one. So Oakley really took advantage knowing that these big flashy cards are what sell pre-cons and is able to utilize that to make a very strong deck. And that's something to really consider, especially when you're in Jund or Teamer colors and you're putting together, like, a creature's deck. There's a lot of really good stuff there. Um, and the other one is by conventional standards, Oakley's mana base sucks. It's full of tap lands. It's full of gain lands. It's, it's, it's trying to make the best three-color land base you can, and I'm sure we'll cover the same ground when we get to Eric's deck, which was, <laughs> spoiler, five-color. But it, it just goes to show that a lot of the, the push that we, we ourselves and everyone else to make a, a good mana base, one that all lands come in on tap, like clean, get them, get them, get them, is not always 100% necessary. And so having that variety of mana, especially when you're casting um, Harness Infinity, which is one, three black, and three green, <laughs> having the ability to filter that for those lands is, is really, really good. So this land base cost $4.35 and was able to hit all the major colors with every single um, kind of go-round. Jeff, you said that making that like fully untapped, you know, nice mana base was unnecessary. I would say it's a uh, not possible in a budget. Was <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. Well, notably, oh yeah, your mono blue deck. Shut up. <laughs> notably, uh, Command Tower and Exotic Orchard are both budget friendly cards, uh, which yes. yeah. both potentially tap for five mana. So that mm-hmm. certainly helps. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know it. it you might be playing a turn behind with all your, the amount of tap lands you've got, but the thing is, everyone's playing a turn behind, except for Chev, because he's playing a mono yeah. blue, but, you know, he need, mono blue needs that help anyways. So how's that mono <laughs> blue deck, Chev? <laughs> yeah, so so I I brought a, a mono blue deck, which is not normally what I'm, I'm known for. I brought a Talran deck. Uh, part of this was based off a drunken meme of the Hex Drinkers... <laughs> A uh, group of about three years ago, where someone said, "What if Chev was Drake?" This was this was a long, long time ago, dude. It, I think this was in, in like high lore. school. Maybe. Um, yeah. So that's always kicking in the back of my head. But really, I've been on a kick of older commanders. We've we've talked about new commanders a lot on this podcast as we cover every spoiler season. Um, but I really like the older ones that have a little bit more wiggle room or um, don't feel as kind of pigeonholed. And so, while Talrand is obviously you're going to be playing a lot of instants and sorceries. Um, it still felt a little bit more customizable. So I really like the idea of playing a mono blue deck outside of my comfort zone. I like the idea of an older card because I think Talrand was originally printed in um, 2015, even though it's seen plenty of prints since. 
And I had the the amazing idea, obviously, um, to have Brad from the PDH pod make a sick altered uh, Talrand, which I've, I've shown off on, on socials. He's shown off. It's totally awesome. It's with his signature like galaxy style uh, stars in the background and stuff like that. Super cool. And I really wanted to kind of bring some pizzazz to this game. So with that being said, jumping into to my favorite budget tech, uh, I've got like three and a half picks here. Um, Tidal Bar- Barracuda coming in at $2. Uh, this hasn't seen play in the Talrand deck in the decks that have it, uh, but it has seen play in the OEM and Artok um, deck. It's, it's come up a few times. And I could just say that this is good because of the amount it aggravates Julian, uh, but it's also very good because it costs $28 less than a Grand Abolisher and still <laughs> prevents opponents from casting spells on your turn. Um, causes some shenanigans in other ways, but this is a really good way to kind of lock out your opponents a little bit uh, when you're trying to go off, especially with big instants and sorceries, or just churn through and make a deck of drakes. And um, is worth considering in almost every blue deck. Uh, for those of you who don't have Scryfall open, it's a four-mana fish uh, with... Everyone can play spells as uh, as if they had flash, but opponents can't play spells on your turn. Um, the the win con for Talrand, uh, quick shout out to Rise from the Tides, but we, we got a better one with Baldur's Gate, and that is Candlekeep Inspiration. Coming in at 11 cents. Uh, creatures you control <laughs> get base power and toughness equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard and in exile. This is Bajuka Bog proof. And so seeing this card for 11 cents, perfect for a Talrand deck or any deck that really makes tokens, there's not much your opponents can do besides counter it or make sure you don't have creatures. So this was kind of how I planned to win the deck. Um, I was able to, in our first game, cast a Rise from the Tides, but of course it makes two two zombies tapped. And so Oakley was able to come in and murder me. Mm. Um, Last main pick is kind of a, a group of cards, and that is March of Swirling Mist. Coming in at eighty-four cents from Neon Dynasty, um, phasing is back. We, we thought it was going away, and then they decided within the last like year and a if, half that phasing is going to be a major blue mechanic. If so, phased in, one might say. Phased in. Uh, we've gotten like three or four really solid cards uh, in the last couple sets. This one is a blue and X part of that Neon Dynasty cycle. Uh, you may discard blue cards from your hand for this to cost two less per blue card um, discarded this way and phase out up to X target creatures. Phasing, of course, gets around um, like trying to blink your tokens, right? They disappear. Phasing, they never leave the battlefield. So you're able to save a large board state from a board wipe. You're able to save your commander in a pinch. Um, other cards in this that I've been trying to fit in, but slip out the back, the one from New Capenna, which is one mana, I think. And phase something out comes in with a one-one counter, a dollar sixty-seven. That's a little pricier than I want. Uh, but change of plans from New Capenna Commander um, phase out a bunch of creatures, and they also connive is another really good piece here. But consider this when you have a board state in blue, uh, and you're at the budget level because this is a really good way to protect it outside of just counter spells. Speaking of board wipes, I don't think enough people have realized that the phasing of Zalfir is a fifty-five cent. Four mana blue board wipe. Um, this is from Dominar United. It's one of the sagas with read through or whatever it is that lets you play any of the different um, ones at the same time or at the turn you play it. Notably, the fourth mode is destroy all creatures. Um, each player gets a 2 2 black Phyrexian zombie equal 
to the number of creatures they control destroyed this way. It's commander. Um, legions of creatures is something to consider probably 10% of the time. Uh, more often than not, you're just going to want to rid the board of, say, Inferno Titans and <laughs> Torwalkies and Sisses, I guess, like or, or the shrines that are creatures. Um, it, it's much more <laughs> beneficial to get rid of those and leave your opponents with a couple 2-2 vanilla creatures. And for four mana, um, it doesn't get much better. Then the, the last card, because I lied. I'm actually just going to reference five, not three and a half. Um, this one goes out to the, the PDH folks. This is Step Through. Four cents. Modern Horizons 2. The What the card does doesn't even matter. It, ignore that it costs seven mana. Because what we really care about is wizard cycling for two generic. So we're getting <laughs> a tutor for any of the best creatures in this deck. We're running Baral, Chief of Compliance. We're running the new Hercule. Uh, which is a great card advantage engine. We're running Gale, who I'll talk about more in a minute, Waterdeep, Prodigy, and Murmuring Mystic, all wizards. So for two mana, instant speed, tutor up your best wizard. It, it's just like tutors are so powerful in the budget format. Um, so being able to have one at that cheap uh, cost really, really helps. And I think I used it in both games we played to, I think, get a Gale, Waterdeep, Prodigy 1, and a, um, I think... The, the Beast Whisperer in blue who draws you a card for each instant and sorcery in another game. Uh, Archmage Emeritus or something. Mm. So very powerful, very strong. Chev, with how good your wizard package is and, and how cheap Vidalcan Aether Mage is, I'm surprised you're not running that. It's a creature, once again, does not matter, but it wizard cycles for three generic. Mm. It's only 50 cents. That's, that's worth considering. I, it, it just doesn't come up enough, and I had stepped through on the mind, but I'll have to, I'll have to consider it for the, the changes. Mm-hmm. I'm just remembering how uh, quintessential Gale Waterdeep was yes. to uh, your your strategy, and I'm just thinking might be worth it just to have that yeah. extra redundancy, yeah. have especially if it's redundancy, so cheap. That would be super good. Uh, and kind of jumping right into two cards that exceeded expectations. I've had my eye on Gale Waterdeep since it was printed. Um, this is a, whenever you play an instant or a sorcery, you may cast one of the opposite type from your graveyard. And notably, because it doesn't say until end of turn, timing restrictions don't apply. So you're on someone else's turn casting an instant. You can then cast a sorcery at instant speed, kind of like madness cards. 18 cents. This thing has the potential to replace Toshiro if I wasn't so glued onto that like mono black samurai theme because it is just more potent. Um, and especially in Talrand, put in a massive amount of work, being able to remove multiple threats a turn by, I think I, I did like a re-sculpt into a raven form or a... Um, reality shift something like that that was able to clear the board and do really impressive things um this is certainly a card that i don't think i'll be able to get as many turns to utilize uh next time i play this deck because i'm sure it'll be a target <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on to the card that got me murdered uh, first in our <laughs> game haughty gin has gone up in price since i added it to the list we're now looking at three dollars for this uh dominaria united um rare it's I, I kind of just included it as a less good Baral because it's a three mana instance of sorceries cost one less. Um, but it also has flying and its power is equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard. So I think by the time of my death, this was about an eight, three or a 10, three um, with not many flyers on the field. I did also have the rise from the tides, which really set emotions high, but the haughty gin getting in for probably 10 to 30 damage uh, didn't help my case any. <laughs> this is true 
They just yeah. keep printing better and better spell heart chimeras, uh, and this is just the next iteration of that. Yeah. I think, kind of going off what, what you said, Oak, there's probably four or five cost reducers in this deck. Uh, we've got Baral, we've got um, the Jin. we have Wizards of Thay, which is another um, Baldur's Gate one, except that is a four mana, instant sorceries cost one less, but it has Myriad, and... So when you do that, you have the potential that spells cost three less, and that's a really good one. Also, incredibly cheap. Um, last card to highlight that did way more work than I expected it to, which made me feel really confident about putting it in all the decks I brought to the Olympics. Weathered Runestone, mm. twenty-two <laughs> cents. Um, it's honestly, it's a better Graph Digger's Cage. You know, Graph Digger's Cage, yes, costs one less mana, but this pre um, prevents all non-land permanents. Um, from entering the battlefield as opposed to Graph Digger's Cage that just does uh, creatures. And then the same text for players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries. This was super good. It, it stopped a lot of um, shrine regeneration. It stopped a lot of toolbox Tories stupidity. Uh, <laughs> while this was on the field, it allowed uh, Julian and I to kind of build up resources in the less uh, graveyard excessive decks um and it was super strong and needed to get removed so that was a lot that a little 22 cent rock could pull off yep. yeah that that was definitely an impactful card um i think that much as uh you know, everyone else sort of agreed that like mass enchantment removal needs to enter these decks as like a first thought or, like, uh, Artifact and Enchantment Hate needs to be, like, part of your first draft of a deck as opposed to your second. Um, I sort of thought that Graveyard Effects would fall off largely unless you had a super-focused strategy on it mm -hmm. at this level. And it turns out that, no, the people are still playing out <laughs> of the Graveyard just as much. And yeah. so th those Graveyard Effects and Anti-Graveyard Techs still have to be, like, that, that first pick of, like, I need room in my deck for this. Yeah. I was surprised when we were looking at Oak's List, I didn't see a Bajuka Bog. I thought that would be uh, perfect, but maybe a, a tap land that taps for one color is is where you gotta uh, put a little bit of um, Yeah, it's attention. like, yeah, you know, I'd be a little hypocritical if I was trying to get rid of other people's graveyards. Uh, <laughs> yeah, three color it's an honor thing. Alright, I'll take it. I was As just someone like that, with uh, the, the gin and march from the tides. But... <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and, and lastly, there's I've already thought about some of the, the slight changes I want to make. And I, I think I was telling Julian earlier um, when normally, you know, when we all go home for Christmas, I'll do like one more uh, card buy thinking like, okay, these are the cards I'm going to bring. This is going to switch things up. Like how much budget do I need for it? And it turns out this year I really just needed enough for a Starbucks latte because the spells I wanted to put in were like five bucks. Um, notably, it was updating a couple of the uh, less good instance i had deliberate in here which for those of you who don't know which should be everyone it's a two mana instant from zendikar rising scry to then draw a card i did not know that i think it's curate was a card uh, i didn't even know it was printed in strixhaven let alone reprinted in brothers war it's a two mana surveil two draw a card so <laughs> that's not commanding more than nine cents um so that was a big big update for this one uh the big kind of like takeaways game wise though were Talrin gets removed incredibly quickly. 
Um, I thought I would have more time to play with Talrand. I thought I would spend the majority of the game with him on the field and being able to amass an army. But since it's clear that Talrand will not survive that frequently in this playgroup, I need to kind of make some, take away some assumptions I had. So Reconnaissance Mission, which is a four mana enchantment where when a creature deals combat damage, draw a card. I'm not really swinging as much with Drakes as I thought I would. I'm ending up with like sort of a, a large Anthem effect to win the game or something like that. So cut that card. And I'm even considering cutting Kindred Discovery, which the idea there is it's a four man enchantment, choose Drake. Um, whenever a creature of the given type enters the battlefield, draw a card. So mm. it's like this, this could be really good. That one's sticking around a little bit longer, I think. But I am keeping my eye on what are these cards that benefit from a mass number of creatures? And is that going to be something I will have problems with going forward? Shiv, I did want to uh, say this, I think, about Talrand, and I know I definitely killed Talrand a couple times in that game. Um, I think, unfortunately, Talrand's one of those commanders that suffers from, like, a, a collective hive mind mm-hmm. um, connotation in that Talrand, in the early days of EDH, was just the mono counterspell deck. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> you're running far fewer counterspells than I think any of us were expecting, <laughs> which maybe maybe we should have expected because we just we know how you are as a person and we're like, oh, Chev doesn't like that. So naturally, I assumed you were entering your like fourth or fifth villain arc, you know, um, and we're just going to have a bunch of counterspells. And therefore, I was like, well, I'm not going to let this happen. But I guess maybe <laughs> if you like if you worked if you worked hard enough to like reverse that uh, reputation, maybe uh, Talrand could have some more time in the sun. Yeah, I certainly. Uh, and then maybe you'd be able to do some uh, some Drake, some mass creatures. Yeah, as given from the the proxies I'm making of all these stupid looking Drakes, the idea of the deck was really to make as many Drakes as possible. So there's so many cantrips and stuff, probably uh, a few counter spells. Um, moving into the the problem of enchantments and stuff. Well, mono blue can't really deal with enchantments besides bounce. But we are going to, to, to put in the, the ultimate linchpin, um, the deck, the, the card that every deck shivers at, and that is Liquid Metal Torque. <laughs> um, we do have three or four cards that can deal with artifacts. We've got Ravenform, we've got Resculpt, uh, we've got a couple other things. So Liquid Metal Torque, while it's not expected to do much, it is replacing a Sky Diamond. Um, and in an absolute pinch, we even saw in that one game where uh, Julian was using a Liquid Metal Torque and dealt with a threat appropriately in Red Black. This will hopefully be useful for the the offhand chance while still providing mana ramp. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there some teamwork going on there? Like one of yeah. you guys had the torque, and yeah. the other one removed it. Yeah, that's I always. Think so. I had the torque, and then Chev was able to uh, Raven form. Yeah. So given that I had the removal, I think it was a shrine. It'd be good if I also had the torque. Um, yeah. Lastly, I want to, and this is final card. Um, I want to highlight uh, Herkel Master Wizard. This is a new card from Brothers War. It's a three mana two four. At the beginning of your end step, if you've cast a non-creature spell this turn, reveal the top five cards of your library. For each card type among non-creature spells you've cast this turn, put a card of that type from the revealed cards into your hand. Rest on the bottom of your library. Just a solid engine. You know, on my turn, I could see myself playing both a sorcery and an instant, potentially draw two, um, hopefully just to draw one. But considering this deck is running 44 instants and sorceries, I've got a good chance of at least some... uh, (laughs) picking one out of those five cards. And so I think that's a great pickup for, for 28 cents. And so, yeah, if you've never tried out uh, mono blue, um, this list, while it may suffer from the, from longtime EDH fans, knowing Talran's reputation and all that, my list is far more make a massive board of uh, Drakes and try to overwhelm. So if that's something you're interested in, try out something a little bit different, check it out. Yeah. You're also running Narset Parter Avails, so you're still a bad person. 
Yeah, that's in there for people like you. <laughs> with, oh, yeah, with my red black deck. Yeah, that's. That, yep. Yep. Yeah, honestly, probably I was the one trying to draw the most cards. Well, that's for you, too. Eric, you, you were the one trying to do the most uh, of everything. Yeah. <laughs> true. All right, so tell us about most of everything, Eric. What's, uh, yeah. what's going on in Shrine Land? Yeah, so I have always been interested in the shrines, initially as a meme, uh, <laughs> when like they printed the second set of shrines, uh, the Sanctums. I was like, this is funny, but there aren't enough to be good. Because uh, like 11 shrines for a critical mass effect like shrines are, where just raw numbers matter for every single one of them, isn't really enough if only 10% of your deck can be devoted to that critical mass strategy. Mm-hmm. But then they printed six more, and it turns out that seventeen is absolutely enough, uh, <laughs> at least at this power level. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these effects are just very, very strong. Some of them are incredibly impactful for sustaining yourself, keeping other people out of the game. Uh, as mentioned, the second time we went around with these decks, uh, I was able to completely control the pace of the game. I at the start of my turn decided. Who had who got to discard five cards? I got to burn people. I got to heal. It was an incredible engine to be driving. But uh, in the, in the first game as well, it was just super impactful due to having hit that critical mass. And I don't think after turn five, I was ever without like ever had less than like three shrines. It was yep. just something that always goes up. And I sort of went in, into this knowing that people wouldn't be like, well, I should include at least two enchantment board wipes and was very right about that. Uh, But yeah, I'd I'd never played Enchantress before and when looking at budgets, shrines are cheap because they're bad. Enchantress cards are cheap because they're reprinted a lot. It's a match made in heaven. Uh, (laughs) In terms of favorite tech cards I had, uh, there's two cycles that because you're playing five color to get all the shrines in, uh, it's it's interesting to see that you can play like full cycles of things. Uh, I did not play the full of either of these, but the vow cycle and the charms cycle, the dragon charms from uh, cons or dra- dragons of charms. No, it's cons, right? Because it's three colors. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Absan and Bant, or, or Absan's gonna be cons. Yeah, um, they're all cards. Obviously, yeah. Bant, not. Or, yeah, sorry. They're all. Because uh, I have Abzan, Bant, and Sultai Charm. Everyone's got a charm. <laughs> yeah. You got three colors, you got a charm. Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, so, Abzan, Bant, and Sultai all have a mode that is removal. And uh, also, two of them have uh, modes that are draw. Bant just has two different removal modes and a counterspell mode. So, pretty good. Those are. That cycle, I think, is a great way to take the benefits of playing that many colors, because if you're already looking to have really diverse mana, to make sure, because all the shrines are like, oh, one pip of all this different shit, so you you gotta be able to do everything if you want to activate Sisse, you always need one pip of everything, and the shrines only ever ask for one pip, or the uh, charms only ever ask for one pip of anything, and so I think those are a very strong cycle to play, they're all super cheap, uh, let me just, yep, uh, the, of the three of them I'm playing, Abzan Charm is the most expensive at 14 cents. Uh, <laughs> the other cycle I played, uh, that I was very, very happy with was the Vow Cycle, 
mm-hmm. these came before Goad. They're, you know, the pre-Goad Goad cards. Uh, they're all three mana. Uh, target creature gets a benefit and can't attack you. It doesn't force them to attack, but it does prevent them from attacking you. Whereas uh, a goaded creature, if it's you and that player left in the game, the goaded creature will attack you every turn, which is bad <laughs> because you have now just buffed your opponent's creature. Uh, but I really like the vows because it can it essentially in the first game we played it allowed me to just force Oak's creatures to go bully other people while I got to do my thing, and then once it was him and me left in the game his creatures couldn't swing at me anymore. And so he had to go through sort of this roundabout process, which was unfortunately pretty easy for the deck that he built of sack them, <laughs> bring them back. Yep. But uh, I, I think those are very strong. Uh, those, you know, they, they come in a little more expensive. Uh, the most expensive one I played was Vow of Wildness at five cents. Mm, it's really breaking the bank. Yep. <laughs> it is. Uh, but yeah, they they all give pretty strong effects. Uh, the three I played were the blue, red, and green. They gave Flying, First Strike, and Trample. Things that you just hate to see across the board from you. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, and the last card that I played where I was like, this is a joke. This is kind of funny. Uh, but it turned out to just work really well. Uh, Netherese Puzzle Ward. It is a four-mana enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, roll a d4, scry x, uh, and whenever you roll the highest result on a die, draw a card. This card averages out to, at the start of your turn, scry two and a half, which is not great, but when card quality matters a ton, because you are always looking for shrines, you're always... Like, there, there are just parts of your deck that are so much stronger than other parts. That beginning of your turn, Scry. And I think, while having this out, I rolled two fours, which is Scry four, draw a card. That's crazy at the start of your turn. Uh, so I, I was very happy with that. And that, that actually sort of kind of transitions into uh, cards that perform better than expected. Uh, I have two shrines and two other cards in here. Uh, we'll start with the other cards. Calfi, Beloved of the Sea, was a card I tossed in there because, you know, it worked with the Enchantress package. It seemed to function pretty well. But, uh, you know, just spells your opponent. Borderline giving Ward 1 to all of your enchantments and creatures is very strong. And it was something that I, I kind of... I think I underestimated because I think I played Kalfi in both games and everyone immediately agreed that's a problem and cannot stick around. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. <clears throat> and especially because Kalfi protects herself. So that just works. Yep. Uh, the other card that I think everyone can agree outperformed expectations is Fraying Line. A four mana card with as much text as a Yu-Gi-Oh card on it. Uh, <laughs> when it enters the battlefield, put a rope counter on a creature you control. Then at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player can pay two. If they do, they get to put a rope counter on a creature they control. If they don't, you exile all other creatures without rope counters. Notably, this is the only artifact in the deck. <laughs> it's the only one worth playing. Um, 
Uh, Frangline <laughs> comes in at 16 cents, and it is a very political card. If everyone at the table can agree the board has to go, you can say, okay, well, here's a four-mana board wipe. I'll pass. And unfortunately, in my position, Oakley was the player to my left, but everyone agreed Oak's board had to go. Um, and if anyone else had been to my left, they just would have said, okay, I don't pay the two. The board is exiled, but you get to keep a creature, which is not typical of a board wipe, especially an exile board wipe that you would get to keep one of your creatures. Um, but it can also result in something political where, you know, Chev didn't, uh, Oak got to pay to keep a creature and then passed on to Chev. Chev chose to let the board get wiped, but he also could have said, well, you know, maybe I'll want to pay two and keep a creature and I'll sort of foist this off on Julian. Julian has to be the one to lose everything. I want to keep something. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that's super interesting politically and it's a card that, in low power decks, I think it's very funny, and I would like to, you know, see more of and play more of. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. I I love that card. I mean, I think I personally was the one who benefited the most from it, but uh, since I had like, I don't think I had. Any yeah, they had a blank but, uh, board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's it's a sick card, and the exile is is super huge. Obviously, at least in our meta, Oak was doing graveyard shenanigans out the wazoo. Even you had some Eric and with some of your uh, enchantment creatures, so... Yeah. Big fan of that card. Uh, Especially since any deck can play it, it's four, which is, like, the baseline, like, Wrath of God is four, right? So... Yeah. Very cool. Exile board wipe for 16 cents and four mana. I'm about it. Yep. yep. Uh, I, I do want to say, and maybe the listeners can, can chime in, I, I want to know how long Frang Line has lasted. Like, have we gone, like four turn cycles where people are just like nope i just we just want to keep, i think keep once you get past the top two it's like this it doesn't matter i've got the two things that are going to rebuild my board just let it rip yeah i i think that if fair enough i would feel very weird as a position if i had dropped fraying line and it made it back to me whether i wanted to now pay six for a board wipe but i get to keep two creatures but everyone else gets to keep one creature but they also had to pay. The math becomes too much, and I would probably just let it rip. <laughs> oh, the political aspect comes back. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 a very interesting card to evaluate, and I think that every time you play it, you're gonna look at it differently. But the two shrines that I think drastically outperformed my expectations were Tranquil Light and Sanctum of Tranquil Light and Sanctum of Shattered Heights. Tranquil Light is one white mana for a legendary enchantment shrine, five and a white, tap target creature. This ability costs one less to activate for each shrine you control, and Shattered Heights is two and a red, one, discard a land or shrine, deal X damage to target creature or planeswalker, where X is the number of shrines you control. Uh, Tranquil Light is just, it's the shrine that benefits more than, I think, any other shrine off of having a playable critical mass of shrines, because... You know, in most shrine decks, like, the the shrines that you want are doing, like, impactful things in terms of uh, killing other people, denying them resources, or keeping you alive, or giving you resources. But Tranquil Light doesn't, like, seem like it does that very well at the start. Six mana is, like, a, a very expensive initial price tag for tap a creature. But once you are incentivized to play 16, 17 shrines it starts to be a lot more consistent for you to get that down to two mana tap a creature, one mana mm-hmm. tap a creature. 
and that turns this into an absolute workhorse of a card that can just say, I am unassailable. I have three white mana, and if you go to attackers and I don't have blockers for what you have, I can just say no. Um, Shattered Heights, to be honest, despite all of the draw I put in this deck, all the resources I put in here, I still did not think that I would have the resources to just toss cards away, even for as removal. But it turns out that even with, like, three shrines out, this card says all of your shrines and lands are lightning bolt. And that's good. <laughs> yep. That's pretty solid. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Especially when Oak has a 3-3 three, three as a commander, I have a 3-3 three, three as a commander, and Chev has a 2-2 two, two as a commander. Yeah. It, uh... It was, it's so good at getting rid of value creatures, and it is so good at turning brick to draws into powerful draws. Agreed. Um, yeah, that is, those are the cards that I thought exceeded expectations. In terms of any cards I would change out, I think I might, I, I just want to play the deck more proactively. Um, namely, that very drawn out game with Oak, I, I felt like I just, kept ending up in a position where I had to... Oak had to pass his turn without killing me or healing, and then I would win, and he would always blow up my shrines or heal or do something. And I I was never able to, on my turn, feel like I could take enough initiative to just kill him. I always had to wait for another upkeep. And either in terms of how I play, the shrines I seek out, or just changing how the deck is built... I want to get more on that proactive and aggressive play pattern. Um, in terms of general balance of the deck, I think I'm looking to put more protective cards in there. As I said, Kalfi overperformed. There's a lot of Enchantress cards out there that aren't just draw, but do function as protection. And so I think I'm going to start looking for cheaper cards that uh, do accomplish that, because obviously Sterling Grove would be great, but I don't think that's in my price range. Uh, as it is. You'd be surprised. Yeah. It's a dollar. <laughs> it's a dollar. That's <laughs> stupid. Anyway, as I was saying earlier, all of the Enchantress cards are drastically underpriced. If you were looking for a budget deck, pick Enchantress. Um, yeah, this thing was huge for a while, but then it got reprinted at Rare in Modern Horizons 2, and that really tanked the price. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Modern Horizons 2 has done many things to the game of Magic, but... Help Enchantress is, is up there on the list in terms of how much it costs. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of effects out there that can just make shrines a little bit safer to play. Uh, I'd like to add the Life Gain Shrine back in here. I am only playing 16 of 17 shrines. Uh, last I checked, uh, the final Honden was too expensive for no reason to add. Yep, it's still 450. Still not going to put it in there. Uh, <laughs> It costs twice as much as a shrine that is one more mana, and instead of giving you two life per shrine, it draws you a card. I just... I don't understand. <laughs> and it's not like a set difference. It's not like they're printed more, because the two shrines also from... like, that have the same reprint set, um, both under $2. It just... I'm very confused. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to get that back in there, but I can't. 
one card I do think I'm going to try and make the financial room for as the deck has worked itself down to $46 uh, is Paradox Haze. Sanctum of All doubles Shrine Triggers, but Paradox Haze doubling upkeeps would be gigantic. It So many of the Shrines trigger on upkeep, including like Sanctum of All, which is already like the doubler. There's there's a lot of value to be found in enchantments in general, but specifically among shrines in the upkeep. Mm. That would be nasty. <laughs> Sadly, it's six dollars. Um, You're almost there. You're almost there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, I'll make room such that more than ten percent of my budget is paradox haze. Worth. <laughs> I, I think it would be. Uh. Anyway. Anyone else have any cards that they thought like way overperformed what you would expect in this deck? I I found the ones that my, I thought of, but my big one, and I, I think I brought it up in our, our uh, other recent pod, was Fraying Line. Uh, yeah, that, that card was a, a major thorn in my side. Yeah, uh, it's hard to forget, but yeah, that was the big one for me. Yeah, um, the only thing I would say is is shout out that uh, in a world where tutors are expensive, um, Eric is running most of the transmute in this deck uh so <laughs> all the pdh fans out there fans out there will be happy but given that all shrines are like two to four mana essentially having a demir house guard and um oh what is it that the drift of phantasms is is pretty nice yeah i think was there another one or was it just those two there's a you've got brain spoil which yeah. is a very bad just kill spell but <laughs> it notably costs five which gets you the five color one that just is absolutely yeah nice. sanctum of all <laughs> um it also gets me the shrine that draws equal the number of shrines yes true that one is four and a blue uh, yeah. um i think the only thing i wanted to point out was it was just like pretty impressive how uh recursive your deck was mm. i mean between hannah ship's navigator um the the five color mythic shrine that reanimates shrines um gen as well um all just even though we were constantly nuking your board, uh, especially Oak at the end, um, you just were continually getting things back, which is uh, impressive. Yeah, Norika Yazumaki, the poet, is a card that I I really liked as a, a, a way of that recursion. Which is a, a two and a white for a 3-2 with Vigilance. It's a human samurai, and whenever a samurai or warrior attacks alone, you can cast a target enchantment from your graveyard this turn. I really like that because it is, this is not a deck that attacks a lot. So the big downside of attacking alone isn't a huge impact, but uh, the upside of just being able to target and cast an enchantment again is, is solid recursion. And I feel like there were plenty of times where someone had an open board that that could have swung into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. Julian, bring us home. Yeah. Last and least. What do you got? <laughs> You're really a dick. <laughs> uh, I got, I got, I got Torwacky. Um, I've been kind of in love with this commander ever since they they previewed him. Um, I've uh, played him multiple times in PDH, um, and I've seen <clears throat> I've seen people starting to kind of work with him in the CPDH realm as well. But I played him multiple times in PDH, and he performed uh, really good. So I was like, okay, well, let me let me get some of those sweet uncommons rares and mythics over here and uh play them play them in our our regular play group and uh 
He also happened to be just kind of what I was looking for at the time, or am, am still looking for uh, outside of my comfort zone. I don't think I've ever had a Rakdos deck, uh, as well as I've been, for people who are listening to the House of Commons, I was on my uh, Pauper Dual Commander League with Gelectrode, and Gelectrode functions very similar to how um, mm-hmm. Torwacky is functioning in terms of spell slinging and like a lot of like pinging and bird damage. So I was like, uh, let me let me get it cracking. Uh, some of my favorite tech, um, Torbran, uh, the guy who just makes all of your uh, your stuff do two extra damage. Everyone's favorite dwarf. Uh, I guess technically red sources, but a majority of our, our pingers as well as Tor are all red. Uh, this guy's just over a dollar, about a dollar fifteen, um, which I I was surprised to see. This is a shoe in for any sort of deck that's trying to do burn damage. Um, I got him out one game and he was quickly dispatched uh, unfortunately but still <laughs> once again the fact that the fact that he is so cheap is uh <laughs> is nice uh Colagon's command a uh, uh, card that I got to cast both games actually only a dollar 80 which is crazy because this came out in Dragons of Tarkir which is when we started playing and I remember was uh, an incredible force in both standard and modern and even back into legacy and was uh, very expensive for a while but um just the modality on this card the fact that um a lot of times I can just snipe uh pesky artifacts i believe in one game i got uh chev's swift foot boots um and uh we can return any of our vital creatures to our hand because the deck is running a lot of like really important pingers and it's not running a ton of creatures um and then just being able to deal two uh, on top of tour that's you can technically kill a four toughness creature or you can uh, i believe the play that i had was um deal two to eric sisse destroy chev's uh swift foot boots as well as deal another two to one of oak's um utility creatures that he had out so that's like a three for one if i have cole against command plus tour on the field uh every time i cast it just the things that you can kind of do with it is um is impressive and if you really need to you can make target player discard a card uh if they have like one card in hand or something if they if they if, if, if their the last stars card was a, a, <laughs> yeah but uh the gamble yeah, all, win all, the gamble the other. get them <laughs> <laughs> yep yep exactly yeah exactly yeah uh so super super happy with that one um as well as uh, a card that I did not get to play, but I, really, I just feel like this card is crazy. Uh, this is a dollar for Pain Magnification, which is a enchantment, uh, one black and a red. Whenever an opponent is dealt three or more damage by a single source, that player discards a card. Um, so this, between like all of our burn and the ways we have to amp up our burn effects, uh, we can like easily, if we cast a couple spells, we can easily make um, everybody discard multiple cards in a turn, which is uh, really dirty. Also, this says... Um, a single source so if people are just attacking each other they also have to discard cards it's not just if i dealt burn damage to them um so yeah pain magnification i have not got to play but it's super cheap and uh even though it's kind of mean like it's it's just a a sick card that i'm i'm hoping i get to pull off eventually i i I don't know Um, that i've ever seen that set symbol before for dissension on pain it's an odd one i i think it's just burned in my head because it's slightly weird but I think it's shown up on a few things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Those um those that original Ravnica block has very uh unique set symbols for sure. Yeah. Oh, gate crash. Yeah. Gatecrash oh wait, no, that's I'm not thinking. That's a that's Guild Pack. Return that's to Ravnica. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Dragon's Maze is also a weird symbol, but for a different reason. <laughs> Dragon's Maze is a set we don't talk about. <laughs> Um, cards that beat my expectations. So I, I'm not gonna lie. Once again, both games that we played with this, I, I, uh, I feel like I got some, some, some 
hard hard uh, hard lots with variants. I was just drawing a ton of land, so I didn't really get to uh, get a lot of things rolling. And then uh, in the second game, uh, Eric was just making everybody discard their hands, so I was just like, well, I guess we're just chilling here. <laughs> um, but uh, I will say, I will say, no matter what, um, Torwacky continues to impress, uh, even though he is uh, has become such a, a, a removal magnet, and he's only a three three. Um, just the things that I can do when he's on the field, and this is also taking some of my experience with playing him in uh, PDH into account. Um, just when he's on the field, there's so many crazy things you can do with casting multiple spells in a turn and being able to just pick off small creatures or stack damage up on a larger creature. Um, and also, uh, I think a huge underrated thing for him um, and something that would have got me out of some of those games way quicker was because he has lifelink, um, you're just gaining so much life. Like in the first game, uh, part of the reason that I also got, like, just absolutely fucked on, like, turn four or five uh, was because I was up at, like, 60 life from just gaining a bunch from attacking with him, playing spells and dealing damage. Uh, the lifelink really adds up. It's super important. So um, Tor continues to exp uh, impress, and I'm I'm uh, happy to have him continuing to helm this list. Uh, in terms of changes and stuff, um, there are a few, definitely a few, like, subpar cards. Some of the pingers that I was playing that just aren't aren't that great like spear spewer um and stuff um and i definitely think i want to add a bit more card advantage uh now once again i think that's biased just because i wasn't getting any of the card draw spells that i knew i'd put in the deck uh, but i'm actually looking at a lot of like the um the exile the top x cards whatever you can play mm -hmm. them until your next turn especially like the enchantments so uh outpost siege we just got uh visions of phyrexia in bro uh stuff like that just so that i can um, yeah that was a good one bro <laughs> These are substitutes for Phyrexian Arena, right? Which is like ten dollars, so I can't I can't have that. But um, yeah, stuff like that. And also, I think just like having a slightly higher ceiling. I think my um, uh, attitude for coming into this was a little bit too warped from uh, PDH and PDC, in that I could just kind of like ping and burn and stuff, um, and it would be fine. But after seeing Oak's deck, I was like, okay, that's not. That's we need some actual removal work. in this one. <laughs> well, no, I've got I've got plenty of removal. It's just I. I need some some uh, larger scale things. So putting in like uh, combustible gear Hulk, um, fevered suspicions is a super cool card. It was from the uh, the prosper deck, I believe, and it's like eight mana. Um, you get to uh, exile the top card of or exile the top card of opponents' libraries until they hit. Um, you basically cascade off of all of your opponents' libraries, and it also has rebound. Uh, it's it's just so, any non-land card, so it doesn't really care about mana like cascade does, I believe. Yeah, 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 fair enough, but still. Um, so, uh, big stuff like that. Um, Stolen Strategy is also a cool card. Um, and then um, maybe just some more of uh, damage uh, boosters. Like, uh, we just got Mechanized Warfare, also from MTG Bro. Chev, do you want to make a joke about that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, which is just all your red sources uh, deal, like, an additional damage or something. So, just now, all of a sudden, all my pingers, instead of pinging for one, if I have Mechanized Warfare and Torwacky out, they're pinging for three. Um Tor now pings for three, uh, which just changes a lot of math. There just happens to be like a lot of things that have three toughness or such. So um, kind of boosting the ceiling on this deck, I think, is uh, really what I need to do is adding a few just more consistency tools. I mean, yeah, this this deck can... I think of the three or of our four decks, I think that this one probably has the highest ceiling. Um, namely, I saw this deck stand up pretty well for itself uh, in the budget uh cdh tournament and uh, i i think clay was playing like a pure pdh version of it he was yeah which super impressive 
definitely the one <laughs> game I played it with him, he had a huge impact. Uh, he certainly said he was playing table police a lot, but if you're able to, you know, keep place, keep pace and play table police with some really, really strong and fast decks, I, I think this deck can definitely go the distance. Yeah, I definitely felt like um, that was part of it, which I, I kind of have to find that happy medium there because I definitely felt like I was playing table police, especially with just the way that tour triggers can kind of just pick things mm -hmm. off. Um, but doing that, it felt like I was wasting too many resource, too many of my own resources dealing with other people's problems almost. Um, and in something like this, as opposed to something like Chromium, where Chromium, I can just be like, exile the board, I, like I don't give a fuck. This is much more um, <clears throat> much more nickel and dimey, mm -hmm. and I feel like I need to either, once again, increase the ceiling so that I'm having more of a, an impact of like being aggressive in my own strategy, or I need to like make this almost like a, a Staxi sort of deck where I'm completely shutting everything down so that I can win through that incremental damage um, like yeah. that. Because uh, when I was playing it in my vision for this and also when I was playing it in PDH, I had much more explosive turns where it's just like all of a sudden, okay, I deal 10 damage to everyone in a turn. And the next turn I deal 10 more damage and then you're all dead. Yeah. Um, one of the, the ways that I had considered building this or would have liked to build it um, is a dragon's approach list, uh, but turns out that dragon's approaches are like two dollars a pop, and when you need to yeah, run like thirty-five of them in your list, it doesn't work for a budget list. So. Yeah, but still love the deck. Definitely, definitely going to continue to tweak it. I love, I love me some burn. I, I, I'm a big fan of Tor. Uh, I would love to see uh, this deck get an upgrade. Love it hit eight. I mean, honestly, <laughs> but. Uh, you know me. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh, Dragon's Approach down to $1.50. Ooh. Yeah, still, I still don't think <laughs> I'm going to make that budget, but uh, eventually. eventually. When, when are we going to get the Dragon's Approach reprint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it'll come in secret layers, don't worry. We'll get them after Shadowborn oh Apostles. Actually die. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Budget EDH. Super fun. I know we harped on that in our olympics podcast but uh we did a whole other one about it so trust us that it's enjoyable <laughs> yeah i think we've done a couple episodes now that kind of highlight a budget and we will continue to do so True. until morality improves unless indeed morality precisely precisely <laughs> morale morale improves also morality you know morality. general that's our that's our general public opinion improves. <laughs> mortality let's tour wowkey's line yeah, well. deck will deck will upgrade until mortality increases <laughs> precisely <laughs> that's the hex drinkers you can find our affiliate link to tcg player in the description um you can follow us on all social media uh you can join our patreon and get access to this full unhinged podcast um we're, we're cutting heavy on a lot of these things so get in if you want um all the shenanigans and all the stuff Thank you and good night.